0: everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. Before we get started today, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you should be able to find our feeds. Well, my name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week, and I'm joined by my good friend, a man who is now a cat wrangler of some sort, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you?
1: Oh, I'm good, man. I, uh, I had a bachelor party yet again this weekend in, in beautiful Austin, Texas. Uh, made it back for my birthday on Sunday and then uh, came home to a, um, I'm not sure the exact word, a harem, a litter of kittens that had been birthed under my shed in the backyard. So um, my fiancé informed me um, that as I r- arrived home from work today that I would be crawling under boards, etc., to rescue not one, not two, not three. I'll skip ahead. Six. Six baby kittens. So uh, hit me up on Twitter if any of you are looking for some kittens. Uh, they are actually adorable, but uh, my fiancé is deathly. Drew is deathly... Uh, allergic to the cats So uh, so we can't, can't bring them inside We have them at someone else's house Staying warm, they're good But uh, yeah, I'm officially A cat wrangler, which I think is probably A pretty
0: good metaphor for Shaka Smart Kyle, I've actually never been More happy that we don't live in the same city Because my wife said, and I quote Those cats are super cute If we lived any closer to Kyle We'd have a new cat So I'm so glad <laughs> that you and I live eight, nine hours apart, because now I don't have to get a cat. Uh, but we've got a bit of a show for you tonight. Texas basketball. I, I'm i running out of words to talk about the Texas basketball team. Baseball. Real excited about baseball. Oh, yeah. The baseball team came away, giving out L's like they are alphabet dealers. I didn't know where that metaphor was going when I started it. Uh, football got some huge literally and figuratively news on the offensive line and then we'll obviously close the show out with some bang the drum Kyle as of 1014 Monday night the basketball team just lost hmm. 70 to 51 and I don't I don't know what to say so I was really excited this weekend <laughs> because I was like, oh, maybe maybe they figured it out because they avenged that really embarrassing road loss to Iowa State with a 20-point home win over Iowa State. And the reason I was really excited about that because they surrendered a double-digit lead against Baylor to lose in overtime the game before that. I don't know what this team is <laughs> other than infuriating. I, I, I'm I, running out of words.
1: Uh, you know, they're consistently inconsistent, right? I think it kind of... If it weren't for the Baylor aberration, um, just imagine Baylor wins by 15 in that game um, and, and then everything makes sense, see, right? Like We won at home even though it was Iowa State. Uh, if they close out the season with a win for TCU they end up 500 on this final stretch. As we kind of predicted, um, it's not a good thing, but they're consistently inconsistent. Uh, you, know, you know, I don't know why we thought it was a good idea to wait until after this Tech game to record because you know, it just puts in a foul mood. Uh, once we talk about other sports, I'm sure we'll get that, get that good news and good feeling out because everyone else is good. Um, but you know, the basketball team is a little bit frustrating. And obviously, as you're listening to this on Tuesday, you know Texas just got the uh, got the Raider rash all up and down the side of them. They they had the. Uh, had the tar whooped out of him in the high plains. And uh, there's not really a ton good to say about that game. Um, You know, uh, I guess Matt Coleman played well. He had 16 points. Uh, But, you know, otherwise, I want to take it back a little because that Baylor game was such a tough one for me being up by 19 and then coming back to lose it you know with a missed shot and then some silly decision making and refereeing um but missed shot in the end of regulation and and then you know completing the collapse uh in overtime was just tough i mean i was someone texted me a few people texted me after the game and the only way i could think to describe this team and i think someone was tweeting at us as well and and uh you know that that was the only thing i could say is is this team is a Greek tragedy. Like they invent new ways to, to hurt you, to break your heart. Like they, you know, we obviously know, and we said on the podcast, they aren't, if it's close, you know, good luck. Um, But in each of these three games, there's been a 15 plus point lead one direction or the other. And in two of them, it was in Texas's favor, but yet they only won one of those, which is, that's not good, Gerald. (laughs)
0: I now understand when my dad said I'm not mad, I'm disappointed. <laughs>
1: like
0: that's That's my feeling. Texas led Texas Tech for 18 seconds. Their time with the lead against Texas Tech was 18 seconds. Better than I expected. Texas Tech led for 99.2% of that game. <laughs> I didn't make that up. That's a legitimate stat I'm looking at on my screen. <laughs> the only time Texas led was 5-4 to four in the first half. I didn't, I didn't think they'd win. Texas Tech has a legitimate shot at like a Sweet 16 Elite 8 run. Yeah. I didn't, I, I didn't expect to win. I expected them to freaking compete. I don't know why I expected him to compete.
1: I do. It's because of the false flag we allowed ourselves to think that after you Wapa, you know, in, in equally good, if not slightly slumping, but, you know, with at their best game, top 20 team in the country in Iowa State um, by almost as much as we just lost by. But uh, I've always said live by the three-pointer, die by the three-pointer. And even though congratulations to Jace Febris, who was named the Big 12 Player of the Week Averaging like twenty-five points before this game, he shot one for ten. That's ten percent uh, in in the high plains against Lubbock. Um, but yeah, he uh, you know he did have eight three pointers in a game. That's the most since AJ Abrams um, in two thousand nine. So that's awesome. He went five for fifteen against OU, seven for fourteen against Baylor, and a scintillatingly not sustainable eight for ten against Iowa State. So I mean, the, if the answer to not having Kerwin Roach is we just shoot the ball all the time, and we make 80% of those. Then that's probably not a sustainable path to victory. Though it is fun when it works.
0: I don't want to. I don't want this to to dip too far into melancholy. 29.6% from the field, less than 30%. That's just it's ridiculous. Like I I just don't know what this team is. I don't know what they're doing. They don't. I don't know if they know who they are at this point. Like. Are they, you know, an inside outside team? Are they guards jacking it up? Which, you know, that that's that's only gonna take you so far. Kyle, I don't I don't I can't talk about this anymore. I've got nothing left in the tank.
1: Well, uh, then, you know, like like the Texas football analyst program, let's just put a fedora on it and uh, and move on to the good stuff.
0: So moving from a team that underperforms to a team that may be overperforming The now newly minted number 12 Texas baseball team swept second-ranked LSU over the weekend thanks to a walk-off wild ninth-inning winner. Got a great performance from pitcher Coy Cobb. Just an incredible, incredible weekend series. Uh, So Texas manages to do what they weren't weren't able to do last year and pick up a series in these early series uh the forge is what we're going to call it maybe the fire the flames the forge so kyle it was a the first two games really were pretty lopsided and i honestly anticipated a sunday letdown and texas managed to pull it out so like What is the level of expectation now for the baseball team moving forward?
1: Uh, Well, little known fact, uh, it was actually just called SU University before this weekend. Um, They definitely were given the L. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Yeah,
0: it took a second to get there. It took a second (laughs) to get there.
1: Let that marinate. No, uh, I mean, surely to to win two um, over LSU would have been an achievement in itself. And it looked like they had a case of the the sunday scaries there um for a second um they definitely i mean dominated the first two games surely um were were the significantly better team sunday they were the better team for you know as many outs as it as it mattered um and and had the late rally which was fantastic um you know it's it's there's a, a lot a lot to take from this team um a lot to unpack like i mean they're they're a third almost of the way through the season. It's weird to say that, um, but, you know, they've churned a few series now. They, um, you know, you get a baseline for what this team might, might be. Um, You know, they're, they're basically going to come out in game ones with, with one of the best pitchers in the big 12, at least in sophomore, Bryce Elder, who was electric um, yet again, um, has, truly been one of the best pitchers in the country up to a you know small sample size. Um, they're gonna come out in game twos and, and if Blair Henley is on, they're gonna look like, you know, as good a day two starter as any team can put out there. We'll test that because Stanford has one of the best rotations, <laughs> literally, in the country. I mean, they they, they, they have arms. Um, they don't hit as well as LSU uh, this season, but they, they have significantly better pitching. And then it's always going to be a toss up in, in the third game of three game series um, because Koi Cobb, you know, is really good. And he's a kid who's got a lot of upside, but he's a freshman um, who, you know, again, as we said, is having to take on some. Really, really good teams um, so far and continued uh, as that third arm. Um, The thing that I took away from this is just some guys stepped up and stepped up in this way that I hope translates to a season's worth. You know, we were a team last year that really relied on one player, we went as far as the Clemens God could take us. You know, this is a team that different nights different guys are doing it. I think we're starting to see kind of a a tier of top tier talent who who, you know, one of them will will be the ones to to step up, but there's a lot of different guys who are doing it on on different nights and that's honestly a more dangerous team. If you get, you know, the ceiling, if you get all the way to the top of what this team can be, they can be a better team than what they were last year.
0: And we talked about it a bit last week. This feels like what last year's baseball team would have been if the bats had followed the pitching yeah. is really what it felt, what this feels like. Cause I mean, at some point it wasn't on the pitching last year, the bats just seemed to really not be able to get going. And it's crazy to say that the LSU uh, the LSU team is the probably at least looked like it, the lesser louisiana team that texas beat based (laughs) upon results no i just want to take shots at lsu um it's really crazy to think about how good the offense is and the pitching is matching it i think that's really where it's incredible got austin todd with the walk-off you have your uh big 12 newcomer of the week eric kennedy who managed to hit what 479 last week which is just absolutely insane. The bats are what's impressive to me. The fact that they can generate enough offense on... Now, LSU isn't, like I said, they're not Stanford, and this weekend will be a, a true test of what these bats can do, but 25-plus runs in three games? That was unheard of a year ago.
1: Yeah, I mean, like you said, they're getting... So last year, it was a one of the best fielding teams, and, and you knew you were going to get that. If they got their pitching on, it was dangerous, and then the bats were kind of like let's get some guys on base so clemens can knock us in um, zubia also actually was swinging i still have hope i'm not going to rule anything out i think zubia has got some 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 power coming to him in the next couple of weeks um, which makes this team this year's version quite a bit more dangerous once once you know the big bats start start swinging cuz right now it's just a lot of really good contact hitters getting on base um, you have you know the top of the order you thought you were going to kind of struggle without hamilton um, but kennedy who uh, you mentioned in in his if listeners don't know, his big brother is Nick Kennedy, the former fifth round uh, pick who was a pitcher for the Longhorns just a few years ago, um, has come right in and been electric in that, that second spot. But really, I mean, you have to, you have to, you know, look at Duke, uh, Duke Ellis right up top, just really, really incredible. Um, You know, he's at 50% on base percentage right now through 13 games, which is wild. Um, He has 21 walks, I think leads the big 12. Um, He, uh, there was a, a stat from from Dustin McComas that said uh, Duke Ellis saw eighty five pitches, and that's in a three game series. That means he's not only getting walks, but he's working counts. He's you know wearing down starting pitchers as exactly you want a leadoff guy to do, then getting on and, and stealing bases. So you have um, kind of a lot of guys stepping up. You mentioned, of course. Austin Todd, who you know proved that he can do walk-offs, not just against Ula La. As he had a, uh, a in the opening game, he obviously had the extra innings this year, but also had a walk-off home run, his only home run of the season last year, uh, to to win the the um, the opener or I mean, second game last season as well. So I mean, he he did well against that team, and he's proving this year that it wasn't a fluke. Actually, he's been really really hurt, um, especially last year, almost the whole season. So I'm really excited that he kind of right now is if we have one one guy, he is our Clemens. He is leading the team in RBIs. He's the guy who's making the clutch hits. He's the guy uh, in that three spot who everyone's kind of looking to. Um, and it's just, I mean, it's a fun team when they get the bats popping. They have speed. I mean, it's it's this team as the arms shore up um, and get a little bit more consistency and maybe the back end of the lineup gets a little bit more active. Um, and, uh, and you see... You know, a couple of the big names who who haven't really even been there yet. Like, I'm, I'm again, looking at Zubia. There is still a, a good, good step up that this team can make, which is pretty exciting.
0: So that leads to the next point, and you can t- hit this pretty quickly. Um, they've got UT Rio Grande Valley, so if they can avoid the stumbling stone that is a directional school uh, midweek, then they take have a four-game uh, stand against Stanford on the road, then Texas Southern, and then possibly the top team in the conference, Texas Tech, Mm -hmm. and then Arkansas to kind of get us through the next, what, 15 days or so. So what are you expecting out of Texas for the next two weeks, and what are you watching for uh, on the diamond?
1: Well, I think think Coach Pierce is flipping the script from last year. I mentioned they were one of the best fielding teams in the country last year. They are certainly – one of the worst Longhorn, you know, fielding teams I've seen. Um, in, in kind of, th- it was not something that Augie would have tolerated. It doesn't seem like something that Pierce is going to be okay with. So I think, um, you know, and it's tough. You you again replaced Hamilton, who is was a second team All Big Twelve last year, with a freshman and, and put Reagan in there at shortstop, and he's kind of had a tough go of it. Um, in some spots on on defense, had a costly error that we ended up winning. But I mean, they they had four errors in that freak loss to Purdue. You're like, how did you lose to Purdue? Oh, you had four errors. They had four errors in a loss, again, a freak loss to UTSA. How do you do that? Four errors. They had 12 total in the past four games, including eight in the three games against LSU. So as you're talking about playing this really elite competition, and again, we're talking about young arms that, you know, in in the middle part of the bullpen uh, are still kind of developing a little bit or you know they might be a little up and down they're going to rely on getting some of those outs on on getting some grounders and getting out of jams um you know i I think there's a ton of talent in that bullpen where it's not i think last year we needed that we relied on that you know as our main weapon was just put the ball in play and let our defense take care of it i mean we just to give a quick shout out because I don't want to skip over it we had a three run save um in game 1 and in game 2 cam fields was you know gave up no runs uh, Cole Quintanilla tried to top him in the second game with a three inning save he had 10 batters face gave up one hit and k'd the other seven um mason bryant has i think k like an average of 2.1 per inning he's in there i mean we have some guys who are smoking the ball past people but, you know, if they put the ball in play, there needs to be some confidence that we can turn those into out. So I will really be watching, especially the infield, um, outfield as well, but just the entire defense and seeing uh, seeing where that fielding percentage and, and, and cutting down on the errors goes in the, in the coming weeks.
0: So next up for Texas, like we mentioned, UT Rio Grande Valley Tuesday, the you're recording this, they've moved up. The first pitch to 4:30, so you can avoid some of the weather. If you're in Austin and you're feeling froggy, tickets are three bucks, so <laughs> maybe go out. You can walk in with a ten, get the ticket and fan-friendly popcorn, and walk out with change. So yeah. do that. If you're not in Austin, check it out on Longhorn Network before they head out west to play Stanford in a four-game weekend series, and we'll obviously bring you the back door of that next. Week. But the Texas football team is answering the age-old question, where's the beef, by adding <laughs> not one but two new members to this next season's roster. So first up, yesterday, Sunday, as of time of recording, Texas got a commitment from graduate transfer, all former All-ACC guard Parker Braun, which, again, incredible name for an offensive lineman. And then Monday morning, uh, Juco offensive tackle Willie Tyler, a guy that not a lot of people were expecting to be a part of the 2019 class, and then he decided that he was graduating early from Juco. So he has four seasons to play three uh, years of eligibility. So Texas wasn't satisfied with the haul that they had in the 19 recruiting class as far as freshmen needed some potential instant contributors on the offensive line. Kyle, is this an indication that they intend to win and compete really quickly? And this is really an indication of them wanting some immediate depth along that offensive line.
1: Yes. And yes. Um, I I mean, I think, from the the Willie Tyler news, anytime you can get uh, an actual giant, a man who's you know more akin to Woon Woon than than you and I, um, it's six seven, three hundred and thirty pounds. Um, you know, you, you, you take him. That's a good thing to have on the roster. I mean, I don't know that he necessarily comes in day one and knocks anyone off that depth chart, but again, he's he's a giant with uh, with a Herb Hand um, coaching regimen and a Yancey McKnight. Uh, sculpting of that frame you know he could be could be dangerous um, but I think when you look at the other you know piece you are looking at a player who in Parker Braun and in, in just a guy who can can do one thing exceptionally exceptionally well has the tools and the, the the frame to do another thing? I think very well, but we'll we'll see. But coming from Georgia Tech, which is a triple option team, we know that he can run block well. We know that he can block on the move well. He's he's with these pin and pole and kind of moving uh, guard type plays is, is dangerous. I mean that's going to be great for our um you know our our edges and 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 uh, running. Some some lateral plays, running some of the tunnel wide receiver inside screens. Some of those plays that you really like to have agile linemen in there for. I think he's going to be a plug and play for Vahé. I mean, I could absolutely see if not by week one that by week six he's an, an instant you know just an automatic upgrade from a position that already that looked dangerous. Like it was going to be a step back anytime you have to replace a four year starter in Vahé and and for better or for worse, strengths you knew what you were getting with him and it was a really you know really solid player. Um, you now get a guy who can come in there and i think that's whether you 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 feel like oh gosh we have a drastic a need or you're saying well this this piece is out there and we can get it and you can't say no to that much talent. Again, two-time All-ACC player. Um, you have to take it, and, and you jump at the chance, and you you know, you know build something around that culture.
0: You mentioned something in there that Texas has been doing schematically with the offensive linemen. They've been doing a lot of pulling and a lot of trap blocking to facilitate uh, that spread power running offense that they've really trying to employ, which I'm all for. And really what it lets happen is a guy like Junior Engelau, who is – 20 years old, getting ready to step in for his cousin, Patrick Vahe. Now he gets another year to grow into his grown man body. So he'll be able to step in and be a three year starter. Cause if you've seen the videos of him after yet two seasons of Yancey McKnight, dude is already looking like the real deal. So the fact that he's going to get another year behind a guy and learn from a guy like Parker Braun, who is an incredible talent. Uh, it's, it's just really, really impressive. Um, and, also on the recruiting tip, and we'll talk a little uh, recruiting at some point. His little brother is a four-star composite in the 2020 class, so you know I'm okay if they can get both brawn. There's never too much brawn on the offensive line, which feels great.
1: And and you know just to to really because I'm I'm loving some some wordplay tonight. The brains with the brawn. Oh, yeah, we couldn't avoid it. Um, I mean, he's coming from Georgia Tech. This is actually my favorite tiny sample size trend. If Texas just goes get and gets the best offensive lineman in the country, uh, the best transfer, I should say, offensive lineman in the country who graduates from a really smart school and wants another advanced degree from a really smart school. Again, I'm talking Calvin Anderson from Rice and now Parker Braun from Georgia Tech. Like, we should use all of our assets. I mean, you and I played NCAA 14 on online dynasties. If you pick a school, you know, if, if you're in the sec and you have the misfortune of being Vanderbilt and you have to recruit against, I don't know, every other school in the sec, you're going to pitch the academic. So when you have an a plus Texas, use all of your recruiting tools and, and having a fantastic education to sell to these kids is something that, you know, a lot of the other uh, big football powers that we're competing against can't necessarily equal. So I love this trend.
0: You say that about Braun, but Willie Tyler is not the kid that went to JUCO because he didn't academically qualify. He was a full qualifier coming out of high school. He completed his what would be a two-year undergraduate degree in a year at junior college. He was just, he's kind of been characterized as a bit of a late bloomer, which is ridiculous because he's seven <laughs> three 330 pounds, but I'm really interested. Like, that guy interests me a lot, and he looks like... He still is growing into his body because he's got a lot of that kind of high school weight on him. Still, when you see high school offensive linemen, they have, they're really thick around the middle. And that's just kind of what high school linemen do in a lot of ways. So getting a guy with that frame under Yancey McKnight's strength and conditioning program, I would, I'm imagining a red shirt season for him his first year. And that guy is going to probably be six, seven, like three, fifteen of just solid rock by mm-hmm. the time he sees the field in two seasons. And I'm okay with that. The offensive line that they're building with the, you know, the commitments we talked about last week and the pieces they're adding here and there when Texas won a national championship and was competing for a national championship with Colt McCoy, it was started and finished in the trenches NFL guys in all of those trenches.
1: Yeah, big, big beef. Um, you know, we even have a little bit of that because we I think I think beefing up the line is, is a nice thing with. Um, obviously, we have Keonta Ingram. We, we know what what he can do with his speed. But I think it gives a chance um, for, you know, our, our more uh, powerful backs. And, and I'm thinking back to the championship teams when we had big beef jerky and Henry Melton. Um, you know, it's it's nice to have a big enough line that you can kill them with, with speed or with, with power. You can do both, and I think that's what Herb Hand wants. Guys who can play all kinds of positions, guys who are quick enough to move but big enough to hold their own for, you know, if you need it, 30 runs a game in the trenches. And I think that versatility um, is something that Hand, you know, has, has always valued and I think is something that makes his offensive lines especially deadly.
0: So both Braun and... Willie Tyler, who I'm going to have to say his full name every time I say his name because Willie Tyler is an incredible Texas offensive lineman name, will not be around for spring practice. They'll be joining Texas in the fall. Another guy who's going to be missing spring practice, senior safety Brandon Jones, announced earlier, I guess late last week, that he had surgery to alleviate basically the symptoms of a lingering high ankle sprain, meaning he would miss all of 2019 spring practice, which – is more devastating than you really would uh, see on the surface because Texas is trying to figure out what a secondary is going to look like that's graduating its three cornerbacks. And Brandon Jones is going to hold down the safety spot. So BJ Foster would be able to play the jackback, nickelback spot that he plays so well. Uh, especially on blitz packages. I'm also not going to be able to use the meme that I've been saving for three months about BJ Foster in the Texas spring game blitzing from a nickel spot. Uh, But that's either here nor there. Today's episode is brought to you by cars.com. so we know that Caden Stearns and you know Brandon Jones will be the safeties come fall, probably B.J. Foster sliding in that spot for the spring as he's kind of listed, you know, jackback, nickelback, and then the second guy at safety he subbed in when Caden Stearns was hurt a little bit this year, subbed in when Brandon Jones was hurt a little bit this last year. So... As the secondary starts to gel, how big of a setback is it to not have your senior leader during spring practice?
1: Well, this is always the thing that's interesting to me. It's not like he's dead. It's not like he's restricted from seeing the team. I mean, he's going to be there just because a guy's hurt. And I've, I've seen this in my own teams. If your leader goes down, he's still there. If he's on crutches or whatever, he is a senior and and you want him there because he's going to be coaching other guys up. He can still do that. He's still going to be standing there when they're doing drills. He's still going to be breaking down tape, he's still going to be, you know, with the team day to day, but obviously getting that cohesiveness, um, is going to be something. I think, you know, it helps kind of set the tone for next year when Caden Stearns is expected to really, you know, be the voice, uh, um, and along with Foster to lead that group. Um, but I think there's some guys who we, we may have, I don't want to say overlooked, but we may not have uh, spent as much time thinking about or may not have given as much shine or had the opportunity to show exactly what they can do, who can make some strides, and it can actually be beneficial for the depth of that position. I think DeMarvian uh, overshone one of the biggest recruits uh, coming out of high school um, and was kind of overshone, overshone, overshadowed um, (laughs) by Stearns and Foster has a chance to show, you know, just how good he is as well. Um, I think red shirt freshman Montreal Estelle is a guy who, um, you know, can can say I have a place in this depth chart too. Obviously, the uh, the freshman coming in. I mean, I think there's a loaded group who maybe get four or five reps, six reps each more, and they spread that around. And you just get to see some guys um, play a little bit more. They learn a little bit more. They mistake and fail early a little bit more. So they're better by the time the season gets here. But, again, to reiterate, by the time the season gets here, Brandon Jones, will be playing. And so we do get that crucial leadership back when the games actually matter.
0: Yeah, and it was kind of a loaded question by me. I'm going to be honest because I don't really think it's that big of a deal. uh, Because (laughs) we know what B.J. Foster brings to the table wherever he comes on the field. The questions are, like, what is – Josh Thompson bring as a yeah. full time starter. Like that's the question for me. Um, is speed? It... The
1: answer is speed. Josh Thompson, <laughs> that boy, fast.
0: Yeah, he's also like what six foot, pushing six one. So like big and fast. But really, the question is like Anthony Cook and Jalen Green on the on the corners. Like, what do those guys really contribute? Um, and really, the guy that I'm looking to see what he brings to the table is is Green because he was. Foster was a guy that you're like, I got to figure out how to get him on the field. So that's why he really stepped in in that that Jack Nichols spot. In high school, both Cook and Jalen Green, if you look at their stats, they took a big dip their senior year because they basically did not pass to their side of the field. They didn't run to their side of the field, didn't pass their side of the field. So can that lockdown corner spot Kind of translate over to what they're doing now. You saw some flashes of that. Uh, there was a kind of a viral post that went uh, during last year's spring practice of Anthony Cook almost locking down Colin Johnson, and Colin Johnson had to make a circus catch to come up with the reception. So uh, that's that's what I really want to see is what do those guys with the lockdown corner potential because we talked about it ad nauseum during this the season. We talked about it last year. The reason why. You know, Todd Orlando's defenses are great. It's because you tell your good cover guy, "Hey, go cover the best receiver. We've got the rest of it." That worked really well with Holton Hill. That didn't work so well with Chris Boyd this last year. So, which one of those two guys is going to turn into the lockdown corner spot who can who can kind of hold down and anchor this defense?
1: I don't know what it is about him, but every time I watch Jalen Green play, I just think there's something there. Like I. I look at him and I think he's the next great Texas cornerback, and I and I, that's nothing against Cook. I think he, he he might have the more experience of the two, but I just think Jalen Green has some spark. And my my drama way too early. Podstr drama is that Jalen Green becomes you know so that player who's so good you got to find a place to get him on the field, whether he's got a corner spot lockdown or the you know rotate him in, but he he will play significant minutes uh, this next season.
0: See, I feel that way about Anthony Cook. Hmm. Like, I look at him, and he's got, like, that baby-faced assassin thing going on, which is, like, that dude may look young, but he is also Captain Steelio Girl. Like, that's what he looks like. And he'll also your Passes. Like, that's what I feel like about Anthony Cook.
1: The, yeah, I mean, there's, there's one important trump card I'm going to play here. Um, do you know what Jalen Green's dad's name is?
0: Is it Gerald Green? It's Al.
1: His dad's <laughs> name is Al Green. So I'm, I'm going to spare you my, my soulful renditions because I ain't going to do Al Green like that. But um, just, just think about that, Joe.
0: The love and happiness that that brings to me <laughs> as we think about this Texas defense for the good times they're going to have and how receivers are going to be tired of being alone. I could do this all day. Uh, but No, no, man. Let's, to... let's
1: stay together. Let's keep doing it. That's everything.
0: Uh, that was incredible. Uh, so, quickly, Kyle, neither Kyle nor I are NFL draft experts. We pretend to watch the Combine every year. I'm like, oh, that's good. Hmm, that's interesting. Uh, so, we're going to try to get – um, a draft expert on in the next few weeks. Hopefully, pro- possibly our friend from last year, Kyle Krabs, um, if he's not too busy wallowing in what was the Dolphins' season. Uh, but some news did come out of the NFL draft, other than really weird questions being asked of uh, Texas players and whether or not they have the sets of pairs they should. Uh, Gary Johnson. That boy fast.
1: Real fast.
0: So Gary Johnson turned in a 4 4 340-yard dash, which is the fifth fastest time ever by a linebacker. He was, weirdly enough, the third slowest linebacker at the NFL. Or not the third slowest, but the third fastest is probably the better way to say it. A linebacker at the combine, meaning that three of the top five uh, records were set this year's NFL combine, which is just ridiculous. Chris Boyd had the most reps of all quarterbacks at 19, 4.4.5 in the 40 yard dash. Uh, the man Chuck Charles Amenahu with an 85 inch wingspan. Lil Jordan Humphrey with a bit of a disappointing outing, but we all kind of knew he wasn't going to be the uh, the t shirt warrior, look like Tarzan kind of guy. 4.7.5, 40, 13 reps. Uh, he still has the pro day coming up. So there's a lot to do here, Kyle. And really, what sticks out to you the most of, of all of these? Obviously, you've got Gary Johnson blazing, but what else kind of sticks out to you from this group?
1: Well, my again, I, I think that if people choose to overreact to the L.J.H. news, um, then you know you have your your Puna Ford. 2.0 and and they're absolutely nothing alike in the st- the physical you know department but uh you know I, I say that to say you know the Seahawks will have another steal of the draft when they get Humphrey in in the sixth round um or the Patriots seem to have a knack for finding UT players as well um so you know I, I could see that being the case um I, I think Chris Boyd really surprised with his 40 time I don't know if we thought he was going to be That fast. I mean, Devontae Davis also ran and and did about what we thought he would do. He looked great, very agile, wasn't especially fast in his 40 time, showed good hands um, and instincts of breaking on balls. I think he's, you know, looks like a guy who could play. Just, you know, the speed is going to be just like it was in college, just a little bit of a factor. But I do think the biggest trend is Gary Johns, like you said, being the third fastest linebacker, but the fifth fastest of all time, shows a trend in the NFL where you don't have to have, you know, six foot four. 240-pound linebackers. Um, You know, I I think back to... uh, Occasionally, you get guys who do it all, like they're, you know, Boss Bailey um, from, from UGA, who ran like a 4.4.8 and had like a 48 inch, inch vertical, but was also 230 pounds. That's great, but, you know, he was the outlier. Back then, you, you had a little bit more hulking 4.6 uh, type linebackers. I think you see a shift to where you, these guys, where they may have been tweeners before, um, with that speed and ability to read the defenses Johnson showed all year, uh, means he has a place in the modern NFL that, that you know, has to take on Patrick homes and those types of offense uh, I think there's still a place for him and I think you you will see it um, you know when draft time comes I have a feeling Gary Johnson's gonna gonna you know show out
0: and Gary Johnson now becomes a Juco success story at Texas where Tom Herman can say hey we brought in a guy who is one of the greatest Juco recruits of all time uh, as ranked by 24-7 sports but he also then Grew and had a bigger stage, and now he's able to play in the NFL. Like that, to me, again, is a is a great selling point uh, for Tom Herman and the staff as they continue to show and kind of show proof of, that they're able to take these guys, whether they're transfers, you'll see probably Calvin Anderson have a pretty solid workout at the Texas Pro Day. There are for darn sure going to be more scouts at the Texas Pro Day than there were at the uh, Rice Pro Day. So that'll be interesting to see.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think uh he will he will probably ace the wonderlick. I don't know if they do that at pro days, but he should specifically request it.
0: He should. He should. Uh, and then the thing like I just said it kind of queuing this up. I don't think we learned anything about LJH that we really didn't know. Like the reason why in in our opinion, my opinion, he decided made the decision he did was because there's not a ton he can prove he's he's not a true tight end he's not really a prototypical wide receiver we know that about him like that's not news but that's not what makes him what he was this year he is a matchup problem in the slot and so I'm interested to see how those numbers shift a little bit when he does get to the pro day and also kind of where his evaluations land because He's a tweener and that's not going to change based upon a 40 time or a number of reps on the bench. He did measure in 6'4" 210, so a little bit shorter than his billing, but still pretty solid body on the guy.
1: Yeah, I mean he's 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 going to need some bulk to uh to play tight end, but I think again like you saw a guy who had multiple yards after the catch of of 30 plus yards, you know, 40 plus yards just broke across the field he's got i'll call it emmett smith speed you know he may not be the fastest guy in the 40 but ain't no one ever gonna catch him from behind uh you know and, and I'll, I'll take that any day of the week if i'm a cowboys fan i will gladly take uh little jordan to come back to dallas and and you know play in the slot for that for that team and i just want to reiterate i am not a cowboys fan but yeah march 27th i believe it is is when texas pro day uh should be happening so um there will be a lot of guys, even the guys who didn't work out, or especially the guys who didn't work out um, in the combine, but but some of these guys working out again and a chance to, you know, one more time show what they got.
0: The segment we created last week is back, State of the 40. There are a lot of updates that we need to give you. So the number two women's swimming and diving team brought in their not first, second, third, fourth, fifth. I'm not going to do this whole thing, but they hit their seventh straight big 12 championship. They've got a shot at their first natty since nineteen hundred and ninety one because Texas is a swimming and diving school. Piggybacking off of that, the number four ranked men's swimming and diving team when their 40th, 40th straight conference championship. Neither Kyle nor I were alive the last time. Texas did not win a conference championship in men's swimming and diving their 23rd consecutive Big 12 title which is just absolutely nuts
1: yeah there's only been 23 of them and they uh they take all of them you know I I get annoyed with Kansas in basketball and then I remember yeah that's right we don't even like (laughs) I'm glad we still have these it's a nice exercise for the other kids to get to watch up close the other Big 12 play athletes
0: They all get to say they swam with Olympians. It's really what it boils down (laughs) to. Uh, The the number three men's tennis team took a 4-2 win at Georgia. Any opportunity we have to win in anything called the Sugar Bowl or beat Georgia feels great to me. So due to weather issues, the teams only played singles matches, but the men came out on top. Number nine, women's tennis. Had it, their match canceled due uh, to weather against Stanford. Again, weather kind of nasty in the Austin area. Number nine, Texas softball. Went 3-2 and two in the Sun Devil Classic. They ended their 10-game winning streak, which is just, it's tough. It's so tough to see that. I thought they were going to ride it for the rest of the season. I did not. <laughs> that would be... Absolutely ridiculous! They lost a three-one to Wisconsin on Saturday, fell nine to six in the final game against host Arizona State.
1: Yeah, they uh, they played against Arizona State, is, who's ranked number fifteen right now and looking pretty good. Um, definitely could have beat. Wisconsin uh, should have, in fact, probably they outhit them, but had a couple mistakes. I mean, I, I still think you're, they're sixteen and three. This is a fantastic start for the White Mike era. Um, they've already run ruled, I think, three or four more opponents uh, this season through nineteen games than they did all of last
0: season. That's going to be Kyle's obscure stat of the season is how many run rules they have. And I love it. Number 21, women's basketball continues to struggle, dropped a nine point loss to number 20, Iowa State. Big 12 women's basketball is actually pretty competitive this year. That's their second consecutive loss. They fall to 21 and eight, 11 and six in conference. So they're in second place, basically, probably out of that number two spots. So they're going to miss out. On that first round KUSH matchup. Women's golf. Number one team in the country, baby. They're heading to Hawaii for their next tournament. Which, you know what? Getting to go to Hawaii on a school trip was a dream of mine. And so, I'm going to go get my master's degree from the University of Hawaii just to do it. Number eight, men's golf moved up four spots from, again, 12 to eight. And then track, the indoor season continues, Uh, really is concluding. But uh, sprinter Kennedy Flannel was named the Big 12 Freshman of the Year. And then head coach Edric Floreal uh, was named the Big 12 Women's Coach of the Year. 11 individuals and two relays qualified for your indoor nationals, which are coming this weekend, including the man, the myth, the legend, John Burdickus who we talked about last week, set a personal record in the Big 12 Indoor Championships, running and jumping over things for 80 meters faster than any human should be able to.
1: Just want to point out that Kennedy flannel sounds like a very, very hip Brooklyn cocktail bar and maybe speakeasy concept uh, that I would absolutely attend. But she actually, in real life, is a real, real fast. I think she's the sixth uh, Big, Twim, Big Twelve woman's freshman of the year, and I think she uh, has a chance to follow the greats before her into uh, some real, some real nice things. But yeah, check out nationals this weekend. Uh, John Burt and the ladies, and actually quite a few men, including last year's triple jump or long jump uh champion um who we had will be back defending the crown. So, um lot lot to like in, in track and field in the Texas Relays at the end of this month. So, a lot of good stuff for the uh, for the 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 other spikes, the short spikes, I'll call them.
0: My favorite thing about the indoor season are the cushions that they put at the end of the races (laughs) on the short tracks. Because it's like, hey, there's not enough room for you to properly slow down. So run into this big cushion like it's sixth grade PE, which (laughs) it looks like a great way to end, again, your 80-meter hurdles uh, track. So that brings us to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college sports, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum. Brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? Well,
1: Gerald, you know this as good as anyone. Uh, the night, the night is dark and full of terrors. Uh, but outside of College Station, if you follow the Lord of Light, you could be spared. And the Lord of Light is my new nickname for David Pierce, Coach Pierce. Already one of my favorite people associated with the University of Texas is is a man who. He does what in the soccer world they call good man management. Uh, Sir Alex Ferguson was a legend. He knew who to berate, who to massage, when to have the theatrics, when to pat on the back. You know, it's an important part of managing. It's not just... X's and O's. It's it's how you connect with human beings and get them to do the absolute most. And and, and Pierce seems like he's really got this down. and uh, a stroke of genius, you know, as we, we mentioned, Texas um, weirdly fell. They kind of had it all going and then fell to UTSA. Um, right before one of the biggest weekends in in you know dish Falk in, in, in decades you know the number two or in polls, number one ranked LSU program was coming to Texas at a point when Texas really wanted to you know make a statement um, and so what does Pierce do he after uh, that game in preparing for the LSU game he takes all of the notes he has all of the box scores everything that he's compiled as he does each week all the paper and he takes it stands in front of the team puts it in a bin Takes some matches, lights it on fire, and literally um, lets the fire and smoke baby that comes out of it cleanse the uh, the atmosphere, the air, the players' minds, um, and ultimately kills Stannis Baratheon, a.k.a. head coach of the LSU uh, Tigers, and they sweep. They sweep LSU, you know, in a series sweep over the again number one or number two team in the country, and look like an entirely different team. And I am just so that story came out after the LSU game uh, from for Michael McCann, and I just was titillated because obviously Game of Thrones is sneaking up, and I just I have so much love for this Texas baseball team that every time you know a weekend series comes. And I have to wait two whole days for the midweek game. It's 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 agony. So um, can't wait for for the next week to get here because this team is awesome.
0: Yeah, it's uh it's really timely that that this happened. I actually softballed this one up to you because it felt good. Uh, my wife and I are trying to marathon. She hasn't seen any Game of Thrones before uh, the season starts. And Kyle, I say this all the time on this podcast. If people did not know that I host a nerdy podcast, uh, on my off weeks, we're gonna do an episode coming up soon for Captain Marvel. What up? Uh, people would assume that you're the nerd, and that's not the case, uh, based upon every part of our relationship. But that's okay. Uh, it's, <laughs> I love it. It's it's just so fun. Uh, so my bang the drum. Uh, I'm I'm a bit of a recruit, Nick. If you haven't followed, um this podcast for very long. I like the recruiting, and I like looking at meaningless things that come out of recruiting, because that's that's really where the fun is about recruiting. And this isn't meaningless, but this is something that was just interesting that happened this week. So, uh, Texas commit Hudson Card, he's kind of the Tom Herman does this thing where it seems like he gets his quarterback and then builds a class around it, which is what he's doing in 2020. Hudson Card was, I believe, the first commit for that class. Uh, Hudson Card was named to the Elite 11 Finals this week, which is a huge, huge honor for anybody to be named. Uh, Mixed reviews is the best way I can say it for Texas quarterbacks in the Elite 11. You've got, you know, first ever Elite 11 class Chance Mock, not a ton of success there uh, because of the guy who was the elite 11 quarterback from the university of Texas. Two years later, one Vincent young. Okay. Not bad. couple of years later in 2005, you get Jevin Sneed, not a ton of success there. Go a couple more That's years. Right. Garrett Gilbert, AAF, uh,
1: super bowl winner. Dominator.
0: Can't complain about it yeah love it so again not a ton of success there and then you fast forward all the way to Shane Bouchelle and Sam Ellinger you got Gerard Hurd who was also part of the elite 11 camp in there but just having Texas quarterbacks honored among the best high school quarterbacks in the country is good to see and it's good for Texas's recruiting brand that hey Texas guys because you know two years ago Guys like Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields were in the Elite 11. Guys like Tua Tagovailoa, Tathan Martell, Jake Fromm. Those are guys who you can see at these Elite 11 events. So getting Texas out there, getting these guys on TV, especially as Texas has its recruiting momentum, to say, oh, I like the way that quarterback plays. Maybe I end up at the University of Texas. And just, again, the platform, the exposure. And it's just cool to see, see a kid – Getting to achieve a lifelong dream at 17, which makes me feel all sorts of ridiculous being 32, uh, wanting and still having a ton of lifelong dreams that I haven't achieved yet. Uh,
1: Gerald, how, how is your how is your math? Are you, are you a math guy? I don't want to put you on the spot on the podcast, but you, you feel pretty confident?
0: Kyle, I have a journalism program. Okay, so
1: I will do the math for you then. I, I, won't, I won't quiz you on this. How does the number 12.5 sound to you? feels okay Okay. so hudson card uh, uh, huds of cards we need to get them 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 fire uh house of cards photoshops um for every 12.5 touchdowns that he threw last year um he threw an accidental interception that's 50 to 4 50 touchdowns to 4 interceptions the dude can sling a football 3,500 yards you know another another 619 on the ground. Uh, he doesn't need an elite 11 to tell him that he's one of the best quarterbacks in the country. Um, but I, uh, you know, I love him going out there and just showing out and showing everyone. There was three Texas, three quarterbacks from the state of Texas who made it. And uh, I'd like to think we got the best of the lot
0: for sure. And I mean, Hudson card will probably be the subject of uh, Tex ag's conspiracy theories. He got a, a 35 point bump in the most up, recent updated uh, 24-7 rankings, he, he definitely jumped up there. He's now in the top 75. He's number 74, which great. The number two dual threat in the country uh, behind Bryce Young, who's already committed to USC. Texas is, is doing a little bit like the recruiting is back. And, and I just love talking about these weird random things that interest me.
1: But no, no, no. I, I want to add one more rejoinder because you did mention Texas. The other two quarterbacks who I mentioned from the state of Texas who got an invite to this clearly burnt orange media conspiracy thing called the uh, the you know eleven of, of fakeness or whatever. Um, Haynes King, which is a great name by the way, out of state will be attending LSU um, or Crystal Ball Locks. Um, crystal Ball pr- projects Chandler Morris, the other who got the uh, got the invite from Highland Park, will be heading out of state as well to Arkansas. So that tells me that, did a and not have a, uh, not have a quarterback from the state of Texas, from their, this home state, the, the state of Texas, that was good enough for,
0: for the Elite 11? Interesting. Now, I was a big Malik Hornsby guy, so, I can't really take that bait, Kyle, And be real honest with you. Um, but, I love the shot at the Aggies. Always always feels good to take a shot at the Aggies. We could talk about how Texas got some big jumps uh, from players, but they'll do that for us, so let's not even worry about it. <laughs> but that's all the time we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the Internet?
1: Oh, you can find me at Kyle Carpenter on the Twitter you machine. You can follow
0: me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Pod, You can always shoot us an email longhornpublicpod@gmail.com. at gmail dot com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week and until next time, hook'em.
1: Hook'em. I have kittens for sale.